We're almost 10 games into the NHL 2021 season and some teams are off to blazing starts. Some teams take a little bit longer to get going. Uh, we get a few surprises and some other down teams as well. Going to be a very, very busy show here on the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. So let's go. Welcome in on this Friday edition of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast in uh, in London, Ontario right now. The snow is coming down. It is literally a blizzard outside right now. So perfect to uh, cuddle on in, settle down, enjoy the weekend, and get caught up on all the latest news and trends around the National Hockey League. Welcome in. My name is Kyle Gamard, as always. If you are streaming on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, it is at the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Uh, follow along on Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast. And just a reminder as well, I'm going to be on Friday nights with the voice of the London Knights, Mike Stubbs. That program airs on 980 CFPL News uh, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. I joined just after 7 o'clock. A lot of things we're going to cover in his show as well, so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that. A few things we got to get to. Uh, like I said earlier, some trends that are making the way around the NHL when we're about eh, almost 10 games in. Some teams playing about 8 or 9 games. Um, you know, Some teams are off to really, really good starts. Some teams taking a little bit longer to get going, unfortunately. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois and the drama that just keeps on going. Uh, that and even more after the trade. And also more stops, more starts in the NHL with COVID-19. And a new general manager search is on for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So uh, let's let's dive right into it today. I apologize, by the way. I cut the inside of my uh, of my cheek. So if I sound a little funny over the next little bit, that's, uh, that's the reason why. Um, so we'll start with the... Um, with the COVID-19 protocol in uh, in effect last night as Alex Petrangelo of the Vegas Golden Knights um, is in the protocol. So the game between the Golden Knights and Blues was shelved and postponed for a later date. Um, Alex Petrangelo was, he was identified as the player. Apparently there was a... Um, there was a player and a member of the coaching staff on the protocol just to be safe. Uh, one of them being Alex Petrangelo um, was the player identified. And so he is on the list. He is going to have to uh, quarantine for a little bit until they figure out what to do. But the game also was postponed. And like I said, this is, I, I talked about this even before the season started and when it happened with Florida and when it happened with Carolina. Um, these are going to be the things that we expect. These are unfortunately going to be the things that ultimately will affect the NHL more than it did the NFL because the NFL, you only play one day a week and you have a lot of time in between to either take players off, you have time to test players, figure things out. With the NHL, it's it, especially in the condensed season, things are just so bang, bang, bang that there, there there's not a whole lot of time to process it. And any sort of protocol, any indication of the slightest chance a player has it, you immediately postpone, you immediately stop what you're doing, you figure it out, and that means movement of NHL games. And... Dallas started the season with it. Carolina was affected by it. Now St. Louis is getting affected by it. Florida is getting affected by it. And do you also, do you notice one primary trait about all of these? All of these are in the United States. Nothing has happened so far in Canada. Canadian division has gone and not even remotely skipped a beat. It's been in, it's been in the States. San Jose can't play in their own building. Dallas couldn't start the season on time. Carolina's played like four games. 
and 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 Tampa when they had training camp had to stop for a little bit due to COVID-19 and Florida's only played like four games as well. It's all happening in the United States unfortunately. And who knows, maybe we see it actually happening in Canada at some point. Knock on wood it doesn't happen, but but all I'm saying right now is it's only happened in the states. All seven Canadian teams have played scheduled games. No player's been put on the COVID list so far. Everything has gone without a hitch. This is now five teams that this has affected in the United States. It hasn't affected San Jose necessarily in terms of players and postponements, but it's affected where they play their games. Now, they, they had to go into another barn. They're playing in Arizona. Now there's double the opportunities and chances of, of some something happening there. So the way that this will work with the Golden Knights... They canceled their Thursday skate. The club facilities are going to be, remain closed until further notice. The league is reviewing and revising the Golden Knights schedule. And the decision for next week's games are also going to be made within the next 24 to 48 hours. It is the second game day postponement of the NHL so far this season. That's the other thing too, right? There were other postponements prior to. They could, they could foresee it and postpone it before you know players actually getting there. But this is now the second time that a game has been postponed on the day of due to COVID-19 protocols. So I said it before, I'll say it again. It's, you know, it's not something that is obviously great. It's not, you know, ideal by any means, but it's something that we have to continue to adjust to and and be ready for more of it. Like it's not just going to be a flurry at the beginning and then everyone's going to figure it out and be fine. Oh, sorry, Washington was another team that it was also affected. They just didn't postpone their games. They just told Washington, hey, we're going to fine you $100,000. And then on top of it, we're, your four players are going to be in, in protocol for the next little bit. Alex Ovechkin, Dmitry Orlov, Ilya Samsonov, and, um, and Evgeny Kuznetsov. And amazingly, they're winning games against the Islanders, which is just nuts to me. Huge shout out to... Um, to Nicholas Backstrom and TJ Oshie and, and John Carlson for carrying that load for them, but uh, good on them. Also want to point out before we do get to the next story here, um, Connor McMichael making his NHL debut for the Washington Capitals. Huge congratulations out to him. Uh, had a shot on net in his first game, played just under 10 minutes uh, time on attack, so uh, congratulations to him. We'll get to some other milestones a little bit later on as well. Okay, let's move on to the next subject here. So Jim Rutherford, the former general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, resigned earlier this week due to personal reasons. Those reasons or, or anything was not released, but there is a vacancy now in Pittsburgh. And apparently, Peter Shirelli, Ron Hextall, and 20 other individuals are seeking the Penguins general manager job. 20 con uh, candidates have contacted the club to express interest uh, You know, for the, uh, for the position. This was uh, from Pierre Lebrun reporting on uh, insider trading. Uh, now, uh, Jason Botterill, Chris Drury, Ron Hextall, Mark Hunter, Tom Fitzgerald, Peter Shirelli, uh, a bunch of other names, John Ferguson Jr., apparently all in on it. And I, I can understand why. You know, some general manager vacancies are a little bit more attractive than others, say Arizona, for example. Uh, and why wouldn't they be? You have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Three Stanley Cups within the last, you know, decade, and you know, a real opportunity to kind of make your mold on this team. 
Now, a lot of guys on this list come with pedigree. Tom Fitzgerald right now is the general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Peter Shirelli formerly had a role with the Boston Bruins. Edmonton Oilers, he won a Stanley Cup with Boston. Uh, Hextall served as GM from the Philadelphia Flyers for four years. Um, you know, there's a lot of people with obviously a lot of experience, but a lot of very big names who were on some championship caliber teams and, you know, have, uh, have quite the pedigree to them. Uh, this is an interesting case because... The aura of the Pittsburgh Penguins comes to mind. You you garner in Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang and you know those Stanley Cups and that 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 winning feel is still within that organization, right? But they haven't really gotten off to the best start. Crosby hasn't necessarily looked like Crosby, the guy that goes in every night and bangs in a point or two. You know, Evgeny Malkin has gotten off to a bit of a slower start than what he's normally capable of. And right now, Pittsburgh in that division, clinging to that fourth spot, 4-3-1 four, and one to start the year. Tristan Jari doesn't look comfortable in that so far, if I could word it in any other way. But right now, he's started six games. He's 2-3-1 and one with a 3-9-3 goals against and an 8-5-9 save percentage. They lost again to Boston last night where he gave up four goals on only 20 shots. It has been a interesting season for for um, for Pittsburgh right now, and I gotta say, I remember talking about this not just on this podcast a few episodes ago, but on another podcast on the Face Off Hockey Podcast, and they brought up the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins scenario, and there there could be a real shift in what teams continue to dominate. Washington's still there. Washington's sitting atop that division. But Philadelphia now has a goaltender and they don't surprise anybody anymore. I know they haven't gotten off to a great start, but the New York Islanders were the team in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Boston Bruins are in this division and they're somehow winning without David Pasternak, which is just wild to me. You know, and you've you've got to look around. The Rangers are going to be coming up soon. Buffalo is actually kind of there right now. These are going to be very interesting times to see what happens. You know, do you pull the trigger early and let let go of a guy like a Chris Letang, who's got still some name value to him, who, you know, is, I'm, I'm, I, he's not getting up there, but he's got to be what? 32, 33, maybe even 34. Malkin, again, not the greatest start. Crosby's not going to go anywhere. I'll say that right now. But I'm just saying, Chris Letang, 33 years of age, is normally banged up and has some sort of lingering injury to him. Kenny Malkin's 34. It happens. The core group who's been so dominant for so long, the best, one of the best one-two punches up the middle for the last decade. You know, time, time never loses, unless you're Tom Brady. But Father Time puts a toll on you. You get a little slower. You don't have the greatest start. If you want to know what I'm talking about, by the way, eight games into the season, Evgeny Malkin has one goal and two assists. One goal, two assists. Chris Letang started the season, eight games, no goals, three assists. Sidney Crosby, not as bad. Eight games, three goals, four assists. He's still being Sid. But you notice it. Last two games, minus four. No goals, no assists. Has gone pointless in three of his last four games. 
four of his last six. It's been it's it's been a little tough sledding so far, an uphill battle for the for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And a general manager, after a little bit, you know, when you start to see a team digress a little bit, and I'm not saying Pittsburgh is, and I've I've learned this from a very young age, you never doubt or you never count out or bet against Sidney Crosby. You just don't do it because then bam, they come out of nowhere and win another Stanley Cup. They've done it before. And I'm not saying they're going to do it again, but there's always that capability when you have, you know, the pedigree of a Crosby and a Malkin. But I'm just saying, Latang 33, Malkin 34, Crosby's 32-33. That core group is is getting a real veteran status. And real veteran status. So a general manager, you know, in a year or two, once you really see the direction of this team. Could could have some interesting choices on their hand. And it's one where you could be at the forefront of, of gaining a lot of young assets and 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 draft picks. And it, and listen, I'm not saying that this is happening now. I'm not saying it's actually ever going to happen. But a certain general manager could go in there. And if you if they thought about it, they could they could they could make a dent and they could really make an impact on what they uh what they see fit for that organization. So right now, 20 candidates looking for that position. Going to be very interesting in which direction they go in. But uh, but Jim Rutherford uh, began his tenure as uh, the Penguins general manager back in 2014. Uh, he helped them win back-to-back Stanley Cups in 2016 and 2017. And previously, he was with the Carolina Hurricanes for 20 seasons and the Hartford Whalers, uh, overseeing the Hurricanes, uh, Hurricanes title run in 2006. Okay. So this is the uh, let's switch to this because this is the story that I really want to get to here to really make a, really make a, a statement on. So there have been some murmurs, some talks, some conversation this week after the Pierre Luc Dubois for Jack Rostovic and Patrick Laine trade. Some things were said afterwards, and you know everyone has kind of lost it about how oh how is John Tortorella going to fit with Patrick Laine and Tortorella's come out and be like I'm going to coach him just like every other player. I'm a coach. It's what I do. Stop making a big deal of this, right? He's sick of hearing about this. This trade's been over for days now, almost a week. Well, Pierre-Luc Dubois' agent, Pat Brisson, hasn't been a fan of John Tortorella's recent comments regarding his client. I'm going to read this story first, and then I'll actually give you my thoughts. So, quote, he said, From day one of camp, John Tortorella wanted to expose Pierre-Luc Dubois. This was an interview from Darren Dreger uh, on Insider Trading. So this included going on the radio the second week, which made it more difficult for the general manager to do his job. Now he continues to use different media platforms trying to justify his position. Tortorella had had talked a couple of times about Dubois' trade request in December, um, had mentioned the fact that, you know, he hasn't, you know, Dubois hasn't given a reason as to why he wants to leave. And acknowledged earlier this week that, you know, he and the 22-year-old had a conflict. He was like, do, do you have a conflict? He goes, yeah, we had a conflict. It happens. Coaches get in the face of their players, push them, expect better, and normally they go out and they do better. Right? It's called tough love. You see it around the league. You've seen it for decades and decades and decades. I'm sure at some point if you had played uh, rep hockey, junior hockey, or re- a competitive sport by any means... Right? A coach pushes you to do better. It's just what they do. So after being dealt to Winnipeg, Dubois said 
that he didn't demand a trade due to the relationship with Tortorella. And additionally, his agent stepped up and said that the Jets head coach Paul Maurice as an example as how he would have liked John Tortorella to handle the situation, saying, quote, I have not heard from Paul Maurice once say anything about a trade request for Patrick Lyon or Jack Rosovic. This could have been Operation Submarine, but ah well, Torts wasn't able to help himself. Dubois has yet to make his Jets debut, obviously, and will be doing so very soon once he enters Canada upon quarantine. At this point, your client's out. Who cares? Like, why is this still coming up? We are almost a week removed from the trade. A trade request, by the way, that either you or your client wanted for some reason, but don't want to let it out to the world. Which is frustrating to the team that drafted you third overall, or your client third overall, that that believed in you, that invested their time, their money, their assets. You were the future. Everything was revolving around you as their number one center. You were going to be the catalyst that carried Columbus moving forward. They gave you a a plethora of wingers, success. You had a couple playoff runs, phenomenal defense behind you. And you or your client still wanted out. So when the general manager and the coach get asked, hey, do you know why he wanted a trade? I can understand if Tortorella's sitting there being like, no, it's frustrating because apparently he's saying it wasn't me, but we've had conflict. So Tortorella talked and said that, listen, like he understands that today's athletes are softer than the athletes he taught back in the day. Now, you're probably listening right now and going, Kyle, how is that fair? Like, how, how is he being soft in any way, shape or form? I'm not saying he's soft. I'm not saying that, that any player is soft. But I think that when John Tortorella says that, and you go look back at the players that he has coached before, and you look at a guy like Martin St. Louis, who from when he was a kid, first starting to play hockey, was told no time in and time again, he's too small, he's not big enough, he's not fast enough, he doesn't have as, you know, he doesn't have as hard of a shot, you're never going to make it. At five foot seven, Martin St. Louis broke into the league, became a superstar for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and was a Stanley Cup champion. You think Marty St. Louis was soft? I don't. You want to know why? Because I think he had adversity, and some players today don't. Doesn't have to be adversity in sports. I'm saying at some point, Marty St. Louis had probably more than one opportunity to call it quits. Right? Probably didn't have the same, didn't have the same opportunities, didn't, you know, maybe have the same advantages as maybe some kids have today. He didn't have power skating lessons three days a week, four days a week, right? Didn't have sessions to work on his shot, you know? was never the best wherever he went. And I'm not saying that this this by any way has happened Pierre-Luc Dubois, but I'm just saying that some players have gone around and grew up on their lives without really any adversity. No coaches push back, 
right? No parent has has not has has, has said anything about you. You've always been the best everywhere you've gone. When you're a kid, you played rep, double A, triple A, single A, junior hockey, right? You were always the best where you go around. Coach never pushed back on you because you were the best player. You were playing regardless. And now you get to the NHL and a coach fires at you for the first time or gets in your face for the first time and you don't know how to handle it. You've never had to handle it before. You've always just been the best. There's never been adversity. There's never been tough times where you've had to overcome. So now when it happens, you don't know how to act. So you say, screw this. I want out of here. And you stop trying and you stop putting in the effort on the ice. And eventually you get what you want. But what does that tell other teams? Say every, say anything you want about Austin Matthews. But Austin Matthews took the most unconventional way to the National Hockey League ever. He didn't play junior hockey. He could barely play rep hockey where he lived. There was that documentary where they had to... They, they literally... They faked... They, they pretended that he was from somewhere else... So that he could play with like a Slovakian or like a German team or, or somewhere in Poland. But it was a higher level league where he could play up to the level of his competition. He had to pretend, go to a place where he didn't know the language that any of the kids on the team spoke. Just to play up to the competition to make himself better. Then when he was given an opportunity to go to college, to party, to play four years of college hockey, or to play junior hockey in the OHL and be in a premier market. He said, no, I'm going to go play in Switzerland with men because I want to be the best of the best, even if I'm not to start. Moved to Switzerland. He had a family member come with him to support him. Was the youngest player on the team. Didn't know the language. Played for a couple years His second year, he led the team in scoring and was drafted first overall. That's adversity. I'm not saying adversity is you have to come, like you're homeless and all of a sudden you're in the NHL or like you overcome a traumatic experience. I'm just saying when times get tough, how do you respond to them? Right? Do you just, do you just, do you make a scene about it and do you want out and do you move on? Now, sometimes if the situation has gotten to a point where it is toxic, if it's no longer good for your mental health, it's putting a toll on you, your family, whatever the case may be, that's a totally different situation. But if a coach gets in your face and asks you, asks better of you, demands better out of you, that's where you face it. That's where you you show your true colors, who you really are. Now again, I'm not saying that this is this 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 is or this happened to Pierre-Luc Dubois. All I'm saying is is that I think back then with guys like Marty St. Louis and a lot of other players, you don't think John Tortorella, everyone talked about how Vincent LeCavalier was like he was this superstar, nothing could go wrong, you know, he everything he touched turned to gold. He won a Stanley Cup. You don't think that John Tortorella got in Vincent LeCavalier's face? 
You don't think that he made it hard on him? That whole team had it hard. And they knew what it took and sacrificed to win a Stanley Cup. And sometimes even being exposed to something like that and watching other players go through it maybe pushes you a little bit further along. And maybe, if this is the case, it might happen in Winnipeg. And you might watch and look at Mark Shifley, who is by all means a better player than Pierre-Luc Dubois, and watch him struggle and fight and sacrifice and overcome injuries last year and go, if he can do it, I can do it. Again, I'm not saying that this happened to Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm not saying that this is the situation. I'm just putting it in perspective as to how I could understand if it was him. And I'm not saying that it would be his fault. I'm not saying it would be anybody's fault. When you have those advantages in life, when no one is pushed back because you are that good, it's not your fault. You've just never had to deal with adversity before. And maybe he goes there and maybe he deals with adversity. Players deal with adversity all the time when they come to the NHL. Every every European player that comes over when they're drafted doesn't have the same grip on the language. Right? It's always an uphill battle for them. Some guys don't have to have it. But it also shows... It shows the true colors of many in this situation... When your agent is making statements for you. When your agent is telling a coach who is no longer your client's coach to please stop talking about the client. To stop bringing it up. He's not bringing it up. Reporters are bringing it up. They've asked him every day since the trade. Hey, did he tell you why he wanted to be traded? Did did Pierre talk to you? Did he talk to the GM? Toriel's like, no. They asked Tortorella, did you guys have a conflict? So Tortorella went and told the truth and said, yeah, we have a conflict. He didn't do anything wrong. You're going to say this to a multiple-time Jack Adams award winner for Coach of the Year, a Stanley Cup champion, and one of the most regarded, well-known coaches throughout the National Hockey League. You're out of there. Your client's no longer there. You're no longer there. Move on. Nobody cares anymore. The drama died when the trade happened. Then all the hype was analyzed in the trade. Now just get your client on the ice. Go be successful with Winnipeg. See how you like it there. But see what happens again if he doesn't enjoy himself. You've only got two years left on your contract. Figure it out. Again, all I'm saying, if if I'm a general manager of a team and a player that I was watching, who I liked, who's only 22, who has his whole career ahead of him, stop skating for a team because he didn't like the situation he was in, I would question bringing that player into my organization. I would question whether or not you were able to turn that. Because at some point in your life, right, the learning curve stops. Not for everybody, but for some. Right? The 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 want, the drive to learn, it goes away at at, at some point when you become an adult. Because you can make your own decisions. 
right? You're a grown up now. If I was if I was a GM, if 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 there's any hint of this again, I I I wouldn't even I'd stay away from it. A player that gives up or a player that slows down because his heart's not in, his head's not in it because he wants something that he can't have. I'm getting off track a little bit here. I just that it you're seeing it far too often now in the NHL and the NFL, but players, and I understand players want to take their their careers into their own hands and put themselves in a situation to be successful, but it's just the way you go about it. It's just, it, it really makes you appreciate guys like Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. Sidney Crosby, who's from Cole Harbor, uh, becomes a superstar in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they're going to build a statue for him over there. Uh, Ovechkin, who's from Russia, goes over to the nation's capital, and, uh, and and becomes an absolute legend over in Washington and brings them a Stanley Cup and you know it's you're starting to look at it like Connor McDavid who in in Edmonton you know the scenario still not ideal there and what did he do is he signed like a max contract and said no I want to be I want to be part of the solution and not the problem and run away from it so we'll see how it works out I I hope Pierre Luc Dubois I I wish him the best I hope he th- thrives he's a Canadian he's in a Canadian market he gets to play with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler Blake Wheeler by the way a phenomenal leader so if there's anyone that 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 you're gonna follow in the footsteps of it's a guy like Blake Wheeler and Shifley so I I hope I hope the best for all the players and I really hope Line A crushes it in Columbus and just proves to everybody that he is an elite goal scorer that comes around once in a generation so uh, let's move on here because I actually want to talk about some hockey, some things going on, some play that's happening on the ice around the National Hockey League. So we're about 10 games in and we see some trends from some teams. Some teams are heading in the right direction and off to a great start. Some teams are not. So I'm going to try and cover as many as possible here and, and spend a little bit of time but not too much because of the amount of teams I want to get to here. So some of the trends that I've started earlier on. So you remember before the season, there was all the hype about the Senators and that, oh, they might actually be better than a lot of people project. Well, so far they've lost seven straight games after batting, after beating Toronto in their in their opener. They're one six and one, um, and and things are projecting the way exactly I thought they would. I I said that six of the seven Canadian teams had a real shot and possibility of winning the North Division. I went through each one and the reasons why. Ottawa was the one team that I left off of it for a multitude of reasons. One, they don't have a superstar up front. Say what you want about Brady Kachuk. He is like 21 years old. He's not there yet. He's just not there yet. Um, I never liked, uh, I never thought that Matt Murray was an elite goaltender. I didn't think that if he went to a bad team, he could do what John Gibson is doing right now in Anaheim. And so far, his numbers have shown that. He's been okay in games, but he's just not... Like, he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, and you can never take that away from Matt Murray. But you played in front of the Pittsburgh Penguins, who won back-to-back Stanley Cups uh, with some incredible performances from two of the greatest players of all time and and Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Also, I knew this was going to take some time, and I knew that all of the drafts and a couple of the moves they made, that people were going to start talking about them and being like, oh, they could be a dark horse. And I just, I never saw it from the beginning. And, you know, the, the first seven or, or uh, eight games so far that the way that team has trended is about how I thought that team would trend. They have a very, very young core with them and players are figuring out who they are. You know, they, they got to see what they've got with, uh, with they know Shabbat's a stud, but, you know, they've got a lot of other guys on that team. Colin White was a healthy scratch at one point. Um, uh, Logan Brown, Connor Brown, like I said, Kachuk earlier. They signed a guy like Dadnoff, but I'm just... 
it's going to take some time. You've got a lot of young players. Tim Stutzla is really having a hard time adjusting. And this is the point where you go, you know what? Let's not rush you into the National Hockey League. Let's slowly bring you in, dominate your pace. He's like 18 or 19 years old. This guy cannot be the guy that comes in and saves your franchise. So take your time with him. Kids a stud. Ottawa's going to be fine in a couple years. They have a lot of really young kids coming up. But for as much potential as you could possibly have, you know, at some point you've got to fulfill it. And I knew that this was not going to be the year that guys just decided to fulfill the potential. So give them time. Come around. Just wasn't happening this season. Uh, Calgary Flames, after starting out pretty well, have dropped three straight games and haven't looked great in the process. Uh, unless Markstrom really has a good game, they kind of look a lot like the Vancouver Canucks, hilariously enough, because, well, they have like three or four of the Vancouver Canucks from last year on their team. I think Calgary would be fine, though, but just right now, uh, they started out really hot and have slowed down recently. And then on the other end, uh, you've got the two teams who you thought would be battling it out. Now, I didn't think, and I'm going to admit this, because I don't think anyone else wants to, because for some reason, everyone... No one said that this team was going to be this good, but now that they're doing it, they've all claiming that they said Montreal is going to be this good. But Habs so far 5-0-2. Have not lost a game in regulation. They've looked fantastic. They are analytical darlings. They work hard. They pressure the puck. They're solid defensively. They've got a lot of really good, solid young players who buy into the system of Claude Julien. They've got stability and a backup goaltender who they can rely on and not play Carey Price each and every night. And, you know, they're doing it by committee. You know, there's no superstar on this team. I know, like, some of the bigger names are, like, a Nick Suzuki and Tyler Toffoli has gotten off to a torrid start. But Brendan Gallagher's been chipping in. Josh Anderson's been chipping in. I know I kind of chirped earlier about Corey Perry, but he's looked pretty good on the third line there. Um, you know, I don't think anyone predicted Montreal getting off to a 5-0-2 start. I think some people said that, you know, they could, they could be a pretty good team, but... This start, no one was predicting this. And and good for Montreal to prove everybody wrong. And those games between Toronto are going to be a lot of fun. Now, speaking of the Toronto Maple Leafs, they sit right now atop that division, playing nine games, are seven and two. Uh, Montreal is a couple games in hand uh, and are just two points back. But Toronto is, you know, one of those teams that this is... I'm not saying this is what they, everybody thought that they would be, but this was what people... Like, this was the ceiling of the team. This was what everyone hoped that the Toronto Maple Leafs would be. A team that could score at any at, at a moment's notice and slowly but surely after a couple seasons figure it out defensively. And I think with the pieces that they brought in and there have been injuries to Joe Thornton and Nick Robertson so far, but the pieces that they have brought in have really kind of leveled out the roster and made the balance kind of perfect. The guy, it's going to sound crazy, but as a guy like Zach Bogosian, a third pairing right hand shot defenseman who is paired with a young Travis Dermott or a, uh, a Miko Letnin, he brings a toughness, he brings a presence and like a calmness to that third pair. And there's no fear on that third pair anymore because you trust defensively they can get the job done. TJ Brody has been a rock, I think, outside of one game for the Leafs. Wayne Simmons has scored in back-to-back -back games for them. And, and some of their younger guys, some of their depth pieces are, are you know, chipping in at times with, like, Jimmy VC and, and your superstar players like Matthews and Marner are carrying the load, in which they should be. And this is a fun stat about Toronto. So a team that has always struggled defensively, has never been able to keep leads before, has always blown them or lost them in overtime or a shootout, is 5-0 and this year in one goal games. 
Only one of those games was decided in overtime. That was the opener against Montreal. The other two wins that they have on the season, they won by two goals, and those goals came from empty netters. This team is starting to figure out how to win by one goal. Sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes it's dominant. Sometimes they get outplayed for a bit. But so far, they haven't let it rattle them. And they have gotten off to a great start. That's the kind of start. Them and Montreal, those are the starts you want to an NHL season. Especially in a shortened season. You want to be able to build that cushion. Because at some point, for both Montreal and both Toronto, they will hit a bit of a lull. Teams will get the better of them. The puck's going to stop bouncing your way. They're going to lose a couple in a row. And having that little cushion is really nice to have, especially early on in the season where you can figure out when you have that lull how to get back into the swing of things, and then you'll be good. Uh, Edmonton are falling behind. And it is exactly why I thought they would fall behind. It had to do with the fact that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl can't be the only things that carry you to victory. You need goaltending. You need defense. You need secondary scoring. And they haven't really gotten it. Dreisaitl has scored in, I think, six straight games or five straight games. I think McDavid has played, you know, in the nine games. I think he's only gotten, he's gotten pointless in two of them. And they're three and six. They are falling behind. And they need to figure it out fast. Very, very interesting to see how uh, how that situation unfolds. And, and the more that goes on, literally they need a goalie and they need a defenseman or two. Now I know that Oscar Kleffbaum is out for the year. That's a tough blow for them. But uh, it's, 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 it's a new year and the same struggles for the Edmonton Oilers, unfortunately. Uh, moving out of the North Division, a few other teams I want to notice. Uh, the Dallas Stars. They missed the first like week of the regular season. They're 4-0 to start. They're second in their conference, or they're second in their division, sorry. Only behind Columbus, because Columbus has played twice as many games as them. And I think they have like a one or two point lead. It's absolutely wild. Good for them. New York Islanders, weirdly, falling below 500. They've lost a couple in a row to Washington, or now I think at 3-4, and four, or 4-5. Or four and five. But nevertheless, uh, the Islanders, a team that's very stout defensively, gave up 6 to Washington last night. I've dropped a few in a row and um, got off to a decent start, actually. I think Simeon Varlamov started the season with, like, back-to-back shutouts. A um, little bit tougher for them to get going, so we'll see. I mentioned Pittsburgh already, kind of in limbo right now. They're, they're like, 4-3-1. and one. They're in that fourth spot, but we don't really know what, they're, what they are. Um, Tampa's only played five games. They're 3-1-1. One one. Nashville, 4-3, and three, you know, solidly right now. Uh, the Florida Panthers have yet to lose in regulation, which is fantastic. Good for them. Capitals have also yet to lose in regulation. And Boston, somehow without David Pasternak, is 5-1-1. The Rocket Richard leader last year. And they're 5-1-1. Absolutely insane. So, good on them. And then just in the uh, the NHL West division, uh, Colorado and Vegas are absolute wagons. Jump on them now. Because they're going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch come playoff time. Uh, and then before we head out here, let's get to a couple news and notes around the league. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, they signed defenseman Madison Bowie to a two-year deal with an AAV of $725,000. Uh, this comes on the heels of uh, Chicago losing a couple names. Uh, Adam Boquist to COVID list, uh, Alex DeBrinkett. Um, of course, Brent Seabrook is also not playing for them at the, at the moment. So Chicago has just had really the worst luck this year. They've had their captain, Jonathan Taves, who has still not played due to some sort of uh, unknown illness. He has not been skating since. And honestly, there's a chance that he might not play this year. Um, it has just been a um, 
it's been a it's been a weird year for Chicago and just things kept keep getting tougher. So bringing in Madison Bowie, uh, smart move. He had three goals, 17 points. He played uh, just under 18 minutes of ice over 53 games with the Detroit Red Wings last year. He also played with the Washington Capitals where he was selected in the second round back in 2013. Uh, San Jose Sharks uh, can finally return home. Amazingly enough, we talked about this. So the Sharks started the season training and playing in Glendale, Arizona due to COVID-19. But the ban on the contact sports has since been lifted, paving the way for the club to return to the SAP Center. The Sharks, uh, it's crazy, have yet to play a game where they were scheduled uh, at home. They had to play eight straight games on the road. uh, And the team's two upcoming games against the Vegas Golden Knights on February 1st and 3rd 3rd are still going to be played in Arizona. But moving forward, they're going to be playing back in uh, in their home city, which is super, which is great news for them. Home cooking is always the best. Anytime you can go through your own routine in a pandemic where nothing is normal right now, you want to have some sort of routine, some sort of normalcy to be able to leave your house, your condo, your your complex, whatever, go through your rituals, go to your drive, take a walk in your own barn, a comfort, that feel, and maybe that'll give the Sharks who have dropped the last couple uh, a little bit of a kick in the pants and maybe upstart a little bit of a streak here. And then finally, the New York Rangers forward, Philip uh, Heedle, will miss four to six weeks with an upper body injury. This was back on Tuesday. Uh, he suffered the injury in Sunday's loss to the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, where he took a hit from Evan Rodriguez. Uh, six foot two pivot. He had two goals, three points in uh, in five games so far. Ra- uh, the Rangers at that point were one, three, and one. Uh, big hit. He's their second line center. He is a young player. He's a developing player. Uh, a solid two-way center as well. Uh, big hit for the New York Rangers. And then a big shout out to Alexis Lafreniere for finally getting his first NHL goal of his young career. It was an overtime winner against the Buffalo Sabres. So congratulations to him. That is a, a big milestone and the first of many, many goals for Alexis Lafreniere. Uh, but that is it for today's show on the podcast. Uh, again, I know I got a little bit deeper into the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation. I just I had conversations with this with actually a couple of different people. So I had a little bit more fire to, to get with that one. But in all sincereness, I hope that uh, you know each player gets what they want out of it. They can start new, start fresh with the new organizations and, uh, and, and hopefully be successful moving forward. At Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast, make sure you follow along on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, Twitter and Instagram at ST Hockey Podcast, or just search Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Give me a uh, a rating, review, whatever you like. I, uh, I appreciate it. I take criticism in stride. I try and build from it, and I try and learn from it and make things better. And a reminder, too, I will be on Friday nights with uh, Mike Stubbs, a uh, show and program on 980 CFPL News. Just after 7 o'clock, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Probably going to cover a couple things that were covered in today's podcast, but we can we can break those down a little bit more. Until then, enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. I'll see you back on Tuesday. Until then, that's a wrap. Peace.